Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome, one and all, to episode 479 of Film Bastards. My name's Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Matt Foster. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, one and all. Uh, Bex is not with us this week. She's uh, under the weather. We'll be back next week. Um, So, uh, no Last of Us recap uh, today. Um, We'll be back next time round with, by the time we actually record, probably three episodes of recapping. So, oops. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there we are. Uh, so, um, this week, uh, change to our previously mentioned programming. Um, Mark is um, busy with uh, work this week. We usually record on Wednesdays, but um, basically he's on late, so we're recording on Sunday. Yes. <laughs> it would have If we tried to record on Wednesday, we wouldn't have started until, like, about half eight. Um, and so, yeah, that would have been... All of our bedtime, apart from Becky's, by the time we finished. Yeah, which is yeah, absolute major no bueno for me. Yep. So, yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, yeah, instead of Plane... Actually, I'm going to talk about Plane. I saw Plane. Um, but um, instead of playing, playing as our featured review, instead, we have got the J-Lo D- Josh Duhamel uh, wedding comedy, Shotgun Wedding. <laughs> yes, Which do. is... Uh, on Amazon Prime now, and I think he's doing really good numbers for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, which which is, is is of very little surprise. <laughs> no, quite, quite. Um, feels like if they released it in the cinema, it would have made a bit of money as well, but hey, never mind. Um, so, also, we'll have some trailers, we'll have some uh, movie news, what we watched, and uh, Twitter questions. Uh, Mark and I just recorded the first part of our new Patreon series, taking a look at the films of Bong Joon-ho, the uh, full credit to Noel Mellor, um, hits from the Bong. Um, and uh, we took a look at Barking Dogs Never Bite, uh, a film that I did not know what it was about before going in. Um, and I thought the uh, title was uh, maybe not directly uh, it, 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 talking about dogs being in the film, but they are. Um. Anyway, yes. Uh, watched it on my dog's birthday. So there's that. 
so patreon.com forward slash film bastards for that uh also put up my um video of um looking at um the oscar noms and um because we're not actually recording a uh, a main show like through the week this week i might like have some withdrawal and end up doing a bastards box office report with i haven't done one since like november and like just having a look at how the box office is gone so i may well record one of them this week nice so let's talk about some movie news so a little bit of um follow-up to uh the oscars stuff the andrea riseborough nomination continues to be um causing headaches um as we record on uh, Sunday, the 29th of January, the uh, governors of the Academy are meeting on Tuesday. And one of the things that they will be discussing is Andrea Riseborough's nomination and whether it may uh, the campaign may have violated Academy rules. So, Which, without question, without question, means that somebody has made some form of complaint. <laughs> they haven't yes. nominated and then and then afterwards gone, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> we fucking shouldn't have done that, without somebody going, hang on a fucking minute. <laughs> now, there is form in recent history in a nomination being rescinded because the campaign viola- violated rules. Uh, a Best Original Song candidate about 10 years ago was um, kicked off the list. Notably, wasn't replace uh, nothing replaced it. That's um, it. which it, I think is. It, I think gone. that will have barely got noticed with it, with it being a, you know, still a category and all the categories the same. But it, it's not one of what is perceived to be the big five. No, and th- the difficulty here is if Riseborough's nomination was to be rescinded, if who like if they did replace her, it'd be like okay, so that's who came fifth then. Yeah. Which is feels unfair, yeah. Um, and it all it almost feels like that that person would like forever kind of have an asterisk against their nomination of only got in because Andrea Riseborough was kicked out, and and a little bit of oh, so you're the grass then. Well, yeah, 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 quite. Um, I, I, I mean, it's interesting though. There's a, apparently there's a couple of different fronts. Um, one being that Academy voters are, spo- are supposed to be not be directly kind of appealed to, um, which is and very there's... much a oh, that's a dangerous fucking <laughs> road to go down. Then, yeah, yeah, quite. Um, but also, and one which I don't know, it does kind of feel like well, yeah, by the letter of the law, dot dot dot, where essentially campaigns can't actively compare performances um the two leslie instagram account i want to say um put out something in november i think it was quoting a review where the reviewer was um, like basically said something like as much as i liked kate planchette's work in tar andrew arise blah, 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 blah um that post had like hashtags about like for your consideration and stuff like that as well. So it obviously was a play for nomination interest. So there, there, if even though I mean, it feels like if you went digging in the amount in, in the ways that I think it sounds like people are digging on this, you would probably find that kind of thing happen quite a lot. Mm. Um, at this point. I don't know, man. It just feels like 
just let it ride. And then, you know, if you need to strengthen up your shit in the future, then fair play. But it they 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 got the nomination. They didn't spend millions of dollars doing it and fair play. It's not gonna work every fucking year. No, that's um, it. it. It's it's yeah. a more people will have seen this movie without question just now from the 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 press that it's had. Exactly, you know, I I will be watching it within the next few weeks, Same. Um, yep. regardless of wh- whether the nominations rescinded or not, because it would be good to actually see some context for all of this. What are the fuss um, is about? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's fascinating, fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I do kind of wonder if Andrew Riseborough is now thinking, "Oh fuck, was this actually well worth it?" Oh, with Andrea Riseborough, it's one of those where you kind of wonder. I wonder, like, genuinely, how much she gives a shit. <laughs> like, she will obviously so, give a shit because she's nominated for an Academy Award. But Andrea Riseborough also does strike me as the sort of actress where she very much carefully picks her roles, um, and I don't think she's. I don't think there's ever going to be like a six month period where she's going to be out of work. <laughs> mm. Yeah, quite. It's just a. Uh, I, I have a feeling that she maybe will be quite, you know, very happy that she's got the nation, but kind of find it vaguely amusing that somebody is that narked about her getting the nomination that they are that, that they have that they have made a complaint. And it also does seem like that person would have to have a big enough sway in the academy for them to actually take fucking notice. Yeah, quite. I mean, I, I, apparently governors, there are two, at least two governors who want to discuss it in in the meeting on Tuesday is uh, the scuttlebutt. So, hey, well, this time next week, we'll, we'll know. Uh, this time, well, the next time we record even. Yeah, it's just the, the idea that it's like, Oh well, you know you're not supposed to try and swear people. Like, really, really? Or how many fucking parties the different people are going to throw in the it's, next I mean, six it's weeks? Like di- directly appeal to academy voters, like approaching them and going, "Hey, have like you, you, you know." And but then again, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's like at a party, could <laughs> well, somebody it, just it, walk up to them and start talking at them? Yeah, you're right. If if you send out an invite to somebody who is an academy member saying, hey, do you want to come to this party that we're throwing to celebrate Blah getting this nomination? You are directly fucking doing it. You might not be actively outright saying it, but it's very much a, oh, fucking come on. It's, yeah. it's virgin on the, well, it's a different postcode, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Funny. I, hey, we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll, we'll know more next time around. It's <laughs> it just, is, it, I, it's going to be so fucking funny if she wins. <laughs> Oh god, yeah. I mean, it's just it, the whole thing is very funny and just good on them. But yeah. anyway, so uh, also in more good on them news, uh, Barbarian writer director Zach Kreger um, has um, had a, a bit of a bidding war for his new film. Oh, um, so well, it doesn't surprise um, you. Yeah. That Barbarian did really well, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, New Line have got it. Um, apparently Netflix were trying to throw money at him as well. Um, but uh, no, New Line have uh, paid for his follow-up film, Weapons, uh, which is being described as a um, 
multi-story horror epic similar to Magnolia in t- in terms of concept. Go on then. <laughs> um, so he he is getting eight figures to write and direct. He is getting a promised theatrical release, and he's getting final cut with um as long as that that cut gets above a certain threshold in test screenings. Okay, that's just so, so dangerous to give to give a horror thing final cut, and unless there's a length limit. I I, I mean I mean I, that, but that's the thing though. I mean it, it yeah it does feel like um. Yeah, like he could do three hours, and as long as it gets above a certain thing at test screenings, then they've got to go for it. Yeah, it, it's um, it's it's like the the fucking the Wolf of Wall Street final cut that Scorsese had final cut if it was up to three hours, and the movie clocks in at exactly three hours. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, forgive me, it wasn't Netflix who were kind of like close. It was Universal. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Barbarian, um, four, million, four million budget on Barbarian. Well, four and a bit million, I think it was on Barbarian, and it made over forty-five. So yeah, and that's the f- and it, it it got somewhat of a theatrical release outside the US, but not a massive, massive one. And I think Disney um, Disney Plus re- reported quite big numbers on watches yeah. of it, didn't they? Yeah, and I just. Again, just what an absolute joy seeing that film in an American cinema was. Like, just so, so much fun with that audience. I wish it was a bigger audience, but it was like half one on a Thursday afternoon. Um, So, you know, I'd I'd, I'd rather have that audience than the Don't Worry Darling audience that I had, which was with the uh, first showing of Don't Worry Darling at this cinema. And there were Harry Styles stands who were very giggly whenever he was doing anything naughty. Yeah, that does not surprise me. I think we had the same when we went to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I yeah really like Barbarian. I, I keep meaning to like like watch it again at some point. Um, but yeah, and I I, I I will. But yeah, weapons. Um, I, this. I'm hoping, so when he was doing press for Barbarian, people were asking, like, well, what have you got coming up next? And he was talking about how he's writing something that is, like, it'll be wild if he gets to make it. And it sounds like it's this. Nice. So, yeah, let's let's see. What I, what I also think is interesting there as well is that he's not gone down the A24 route here. Like, this is a new line film. So you you like you know that you new line and universal. So you know that it's going to be maybe actually trying to be for a wider audience. Nice. Um, actually, and on that note as well, um, the biggest uh, horror uh, breakout at, at Sundance that didn't already have um, ex exhibition uh, distribution um, is a film called Talk to Me. Uh, which A24 is in uh, Final Talks to Acquire. Um, So this is about... uh, I was listening to the Big Picture podcast the other day and they were talking about it, and it's... What is it? It's somehow someone comes into a a possession of an embalmed hand that is possessed, and a bunch of friends do a seance around the hand... 
and every person who then shakes hands with the hand um, experiences some sort of like spirit world event. And like some sometimes it's like one that everybody can see. Sometimes it's one that only the person who shook shook the hand can see. And that's all I know about it. Is that the um, is that the one that's directed by YouTubers? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, like like scary, like like actually just like full on intense, scary. Not like trying to creep you out through elevated horror, but just like. Here's some full bullshit. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. But yeah, why why not? Yeah, why um, not? Yeah. So um hey, I it it just everything feels like it's touchwood, just in a decent place. And I know I keep on saying that because I believe it at the moment where it, it's films are getting bums on seats again. There seems to be buzz about things. Zach Gregor's getting at least $10 million to write and direct a follow-up to Barbarian. You know, like, it's... Things seem like they're on the happy path again. Um, and starting from, the, like, next week, there's basically a at least one big film every week for, like, months to come. Yes. Yeah, there is. It's, it's, it's a... It's a rocking and a rolling. Two week, weeks away from Magic Mike's last dance. Fucking hell. What a treat. Fucking what a treat. Is. Jesus. Yeah. We were two weeks Every away. Time. That's it. We're two weeks away from like, it being getting into early February. And that's when things start to ramp up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we've got Knock at the Cabin next week. You know, new, new M night. That's not nothing, like, commercially. Um, and a pat. People seem to be saying it's good, so we'll we'll see. Seems to have a bit more it's good to it than old did. Um, but then we got Magic Mike, then we got Ant Man. I uh, don't know what we got the week after, but then the week after that is um, Creed. The week after that is uh, Scream. Uh, I think the week after that is sixty five, or because I think sixty five might have just got pushed back a week. I think it research. has, yeah. And yeah, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming the and coming. The one you were missing was Shazam in it. Oh, that's uh, March 17th. 17th now, that. Yeah. Which, what a segue. Yeah. What a segue. So, Shazam Fury of the Gods trailer. Um, Zachary Levi um, maybe needs to put away his Twitter. Yeah. Um, he may have but, accidentally said something that he might mean or might not mean, but might not mean it for the way that people think that he means it. <laughs> he really, really just needs to put a tweet out saying, I am not anti-vax. Because, yes, okay, he's say he's saying, actually, no, my tweets about Pfizer are about like like fraud and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people are coming at him about well what the fuck and he's not necessarily denying it he's just not saying anything yeah yeah and that says more than it, i think he thinks it does mm. yeah he maybe just needs uh, to come up with one or the other and let people make their decision yeah um but also shazam fury of the gods um is just a film that feel i like the first shazam yep um, I'm sure this will be fine. 
it just it feels like it's a film that really should have come out just last year. It feels like this has been about for ages. The thing is, I remember liking Shazam, but even though the the, 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 the new Shazam is coming out in a couple of weeks, I cannot be bothered to rewatch Shazam. <laughs> sure, I, and I remember no. liking it. But it's just there is not a single like little flicker of fiber in my being that is going. Ooh, shall I rewatch Shazam? Like, no, no, you don't need to. <laughs> I, I'm, I might. I've got it on iTunes, so I, I might. But I also very, very much might not. Um, if I it, do it watch just... it, it will be a lunchtime watch at work. <laughs> Yeah, there, there you go. That that sounds perfect. I mean, it this feels to me like one of those films that got delayed because of COVID and now it's just coming out, but it's not. But it feels like it's been dragging <laughs> on. It feels like another Morbius. Yeah. It does it feels like this feels like it was finished ages ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it just ob- now there's there's no plans for Black Adam. There's probably no plans for any more Shazam, but James Gunn's not going to say that before the films even come out. And it like it just feels to me like if this doesn't have a mid or post credit scene that is hinting towards something else, you know this film is done. This yes. this, this franchise is done. Yeah, but it's it, yeah, it's out of the way. It just it feels like a relic from another time, and it's technically not. It's like the Flash, though. I think the Flash is going to feel like that too, um, if that ever actually happens. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it will now because like Miller actually seems to be maybe getting some sort of help, maybe possibly, and possibly still going um, to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hey, we'll 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 see. I think that that comes out in June, and then you've got Aquaman two, like at Christmas, and it's just all these films where. Like James Gunn had like no involvement in them, and it's just gonna be like, are are these just gonna come out, do what they do, and then we're just gonna have something entirely different? It just it feels so weird to me. Like it's, if I'll be honest, it feels odd that Warner haven't just like said Shazam: Fury of the Gods isn't getting released, and we're we're just gonna do a tax write off at this point. (laughs) Yep. I, I wonder if they could. Maybe it's because they can't. I I, I just it, yeah. What's the point? Anyway, what I mean. What do you think of the trailer though? Like, just I I don't know. It just looks a little bit unfocused. I just don't. I don't get what it's going for. I just there seems to be an awful lot going on. It seems to have it, it strikes me that it, it seems to have thrown out all these characters at the end of the first one and then now doesn't really know what to do with them. Yeah, I mean except for what they're all just going to get kidnapped at the end of the first act. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, it's um Yeah, Adam Brody's in this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, and not, he's just not sure. I'm just not sure what it's going for. Mm. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll we'll find out in a couple of months. Um, I I hope David Sandberg lands on his feet 
I like him. I like his Twitter presence. I like his YouTube videos. Seems like a good dude. And I hope... He kind of feels like someone who would vibe with James Gunn. I hope Gunn's able to give him another shot if, if Sandberg wants. Yeah. Yeah, which will... We have no idea because Gunn keeps on saying that he's got all these big plans for it. But all these big plans seem to be him doing something with something and firing everybody else. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, and he, I swear I saw something where he said he was going to reveal stuff in January and there's been nothing. Yeah, which but, yeah. Which, which seems like somebody at Warner has gone, everybody's suing us. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will just say, I mean, like, I think, we, yeah, we've talked about this trailer before, but Creed Free. Like, I saw that trailer in front of Plane yesterday, and that was getting some fucking reactions in the screen. Yeah, it could quietly be quite big, that, I think. Yeah, it's gonna like be, that. It's going to be a big old month of, what's his name in it, Majors. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um, I kind of can't help but think he's probably more invested in Creed Free than he is in um, being the new MCU big bad. But, hey, who knows? Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I it just... That film looks like it's gonna be about shit. I, you know, I it, it feels very. It feels vital in a way that the, certainly the marketing for Creed Two never did. Because I think maybe just because of the Drago stuff in that, where it's like it's kind of still attached to the Rocky, Rocky legacy, whereas now this is no, this is fully Creed's story. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite looking forward to that. I've got to say, and Michael, jo- Michael B. Jordan directing it is just very exciting. My only worry is the rumored runtime. Was it like two and a half? Two hours forty-five. <laughs> but hey, if it's going to be some like epic battle between Adonis Creed and his like childhood bestie turned wrongen. Sure. I'm kind of up for that, to be honest. Yeah. I'll, the, I'll spend thing is, a few hours in the IMAX being hyped. Yeah, the thing is, it, it, it's one of those where I'm, I'm looking going, do you know what? That It, it, it definitely could warrant that that long. But it do, does also worry me that it's going to be a little bit... I don't know. You've got to be very careful with a movie that is that fucking long. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to those aspects more than I am the Tessa Thompson aspects. I'll say that. Yes, because um, she's an incredibly boring screen presence. Yes, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so so uh, yeah, but yeah, Creed Free Man, and just like again, like in front of Avatar, there was this IMAX Creed Free featurette where he was talking about using the IMAX cameras to create like a really immersive, like really immersive boxing sequences. And he's been out there in the press saying that um, there's a lot of anime inspiration to the way that he shot the fights. All right. That's interesting. Right. That's new. Yeah. Cool. Let's, let's see what you've got. Um, Yeah. Really very, very hyped for Creed 3. Um, and again, we'll find out in a few weeks. That's it's just like shit's ramping up now, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, actually, I saw the um, I saw the trailer for the whale. Not and not the like the teaser trailer that was like a minute along, but the actual trailer. The full trailer. It's the yeah. first. Yeah, it's the first time I've actually seen that trailer. Is it at I've, all? I've seen it a few times. It's been it's been ahead of the, of the past few things that we've gone to watch at, at, at Parkway. It's been there. 
So yeah, I mean it's um yeah because not Noel's already seen it um and he said like he's interested to get our takes on it. it comes out next week so mm. we'll uh, we'll re- re- review it on the next show um and yeah I it, it's going to be interesting I kind of just feel like Brendan Fraser is just going to fucking blow the roof off every everything I keep hearing about it says the same thing about it that it's a it's a fantastic like definitely awards worthy performance in a thoroughly mediocre movie <laughs> yeah okay we'll see, yeah we'll see but uh, yeah yeah i mean I, I i i i i'm looking forward to it yeah we'll see um cool any other trailers i don't think that's been, we did record only like a few days ago so i think that's probably more it that there's not been a lot has there yeah fair comment all right cool Cool. I kind of get a feeling we're going to get a Fast X trailer this week because um, Knock at the Cabin's Universal. Yeah, they they need to start getting people reminded that that's out this year. Yeah, the one big film that I'm somewhat looking forward to that I I kind of think is going to be a turd, uh, but we'll we'll see. I think yeah. I, I think that's when I think that can often be when the fast trilogy does it does its best work when you think it's going to be a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just the fact that Justin Lin walked. Um, they got Louis Leterrier. Oh, um, it, yeah, it was Louis Leterrier. All right, yeah, take it back. You're right. <laughs> and it, yeah, I it, it it just it the worst parts of F nine were the parts that I felt Diesel having the most influence, and now he's obviously got even more influence. And I'm fascinated to work out who fucking Momoa's going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, I just... I hope he's a fun character. I don't need him being just, a like, a surly bad guy. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to get that trailer next week. But, yeah, we'll see. Okay, so I didn't get who directed Shotgun Hold up a second Momoa on Dante, the character he's playing the fact that he's called Dante Um, Momoa described the villain as very sadistic and uh, androgynous and he's a bit of a peacock Uh, he's got a lot of issues this guy he's definitely got some daddy issues is he going to be fucking Vin Diesel's brother? (laughs) I mean, androgynous was fascinating. Yeah, androgynous, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, we will. We will find out. Yep. We will find out. Um, shotgun wedding. The only reason I agreed to a traditional wedding was because you said that we'd have moments alone. Hey, hello. It's Carol. Hey. Hello. Your future mother-in-law, Carol. <laughs> yep, I know your name, Carol. I brought some of the extras for the welcome bags in case you want to make one for Sean. Oh, oh, great. Thanks. All right, thanks. Tommy, she's not wearing any pants. I just want to ask, and, and I hope it's okay, is that genetics or is it like Pilates? Oh, Mom, now's not the time. 
is directed by Jason Moore and stars J-Lo, Josh, Josh Duhamel replacing um, Hammerball the Cannibal, uh, Jennifer Coolidge, uh, oh, fucking Lenny Kravitz, uh, Cheech Marin, um, and the uh, my new crush, Callie Hernandez. Um, is she the sister? Yeah. 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 Um, so, plot synopsis. Darcy and Tom gather their families for a destination wedding, but the ceremony gets put on hold when gunmen take everyone hostage. Now they must do everything they can to save their loved ones if they don't wind up killing each other first. Mark. Yeah. Shotgun wedding. This feels like... Uh, decent amount of mark nip i'm gonna say that you liked it overall i i did like it um what i will say is i did like it it's one of those films where i probably will watch this again at some point but i could also say at the same time it's also as well at points not a very good film as well Mm -hmm. I actually think, weirdly, I think Josh um, Dunnell is probably one of the best things in it. He's he's quite he's quite a lot of fun in it, um, and you can kind of believe he's that character more than you would Army Hammer is that character. Um, I I don't get Jennifer Coolidge's shtick. I don't find it funny. I, I, the whole, I just don't get it, and um, the the oddness of Lenny Kravitz literally just turning up in his own clothes, and <laughs> yeah. just essentially just playing Lenny Kravitz's ego that just happens to be called something else in this movie. Um, and I, although Bex isn't here, I will say that. Um, that she was very much like she she sort of said, "Hang on a minute, pause, wait, what the fuck? The how does he get hotter at all of the time? Is Lenny fucking Kravitz?" It's like, yes. It's like, does anyone think that Lenny Kravitz is hot? It's like, Bex, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, she's like, he's not. He's categorically not. He just he looks he looks like such a skis that he's pretending to not be a skis. Well, I mean, to be fair, in this, he's Eskies. playing... Yeah, who's pretending not to yeah. be skis. Yeah, but the fact is, I was like, yeah, he does feel like he's literally just playing himself, and then he feels like he's playing himself. It's such... It's almost a little bit odd that it's like, really? That's who you cast in that role? It just felt... It felt weird. It but then again, for the demographic it's going for, it kind of makes sense. But anybody, I would say, under the age of maybe 30 will not know who Lenny Kravitz is. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it It kind of feels like something where he and J-Lo are mates. Yeah. And she said, oh, I think you'd be quite fun for this. And he just read it and it was like, it's shooting where? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, it does. And the thing is, it, it's fun. It's it's way too long. <laughs> like, way, way, way too long. But it looks good as well. It's a good-looking movie. Looks like a movie. Looks, It yeah. does. looks like a movie. doesn't look like a 
a shot for streaming movie. It doesn't have the. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it was originally because no. it's a Lionsgate film that I think Amazon just picked up. Yeah, but, sorry. Yeah, it, you know, it absolutely was, and it doesn't have that. It's. I'd have been perfectly fine to seen it in the cinema. I'd have walked out going, Do you know what? I was fine with my time going in for that, but it does suffer from being a little bit like. Like, they make the wrong decision at every single fucking turn. <laughs> but not even, like, just the wrong decision. Just, like, the outright wrong decision. It just felt a little bit... It was very underwritten. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, it, it's... The, 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 the kind of the reason why they kind of, like, bust up in that first act... There's that scene where they're having the kind of, like, the long, uh, the long talk... And then they go their separate ways, and I'm, I'm I was just like, God, this is really, really reaching here. Like the whole, do I just being a dick? And I, I like I, I like if I I just didn't buy it. it. It's like you you've come to you've come to this point. You're this close to the wedding, and now you I, I it just yeah did that that didn't that didn't work for me it kind of felt like he just wasn't listening to her and it, it it that annoyed me um but i i i don't know i i i had fun with it you know i think it's a perfectly reasonable 7 out of 10 um it's helped by some decent shit whenever it cuts back to the guests I love the fact that they're all just can't like just stood in the water in their wedding outfits. <laughs> yeah, uh, like it's just such a weird touch that they just keep on. And I, I, I'll be on like Coolidge. I, I yeah, I, I get it, um, but I did find the 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 kind of the running joke they have of um, yeah, who like who's blah blah. It's like they're talking about you. Can can they're talking about you? Whatever his name is. Like, I, I I did. And he's like, thank you. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. It was dumb, but I was drinking during it. You know, like Donna was like having some wine, and like we just it it was a good time it, 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 for a Saturday night. It's a perfectly good. Uh, we didn't actually watch it Saturday night. We were going to watch it uh, last night, uh, but we didn't end up watching it last night. We watched it this morning instead. Uh, but it was a perfectly. It, it, we would have had a perfectly as good time with it last night had we watched it. We watched something else in the end. Um, Last night, because it does feel like a good Saturday night on the sofa kind of date night movie. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. It's like we were going to watch it on Friday night, but um, Donna wasn't drinking on Friday night. I was like, let's let's save it for like when when you're having a, a, a couple of glasses of wine. Mm. And I, I, you know, that was the right decision. I mean, like to be fair, instead we watched the first episode of Severance. Which is not a Friday night proposition at all. Uh, <laughs> no. Good show, like good, it, like intriguing show. Yeah, Bex has terrible that. Friday she, night choice. She enjoyed it, and it doesn't sound like it was a good Friday night. It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like a Friday night fair. That one. <laughs> no, no, no. Even though we did, we did finish uh, season two of Only Murders in the Building, and that that was uh, that was fun. But anyway, um, so um, yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we're a little bit hamstrung here by the fact that we kind of had to force this to be our main review. And it's maybe not the most main reviewable film no, to there's, there's, have. It's, that's the way I think. There's, 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 it's, it kind of is 
a does exactly what it says on the tin of movie. But then there's some there's some bits in like there's a bit where they run through a kitchen and then they're like uh, they're zip tied to each other and they're looking for a knife and then the only knife that she can find is the what is it one and then they have to use a a meat slicer in the stead uh, and it it, it it I was a little bit like he could have looked a little bit better there. Even though I did enjoy that they do just fuck up his hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it though. It's he's a lot of fun, and they they have a good chemistry with each other. They do, yeah. yeah. Um, they have the, a good, and, and, and a good kind of like arguments. And the thing is, you know, from the minute that they start having that argument before the wedding, that by the end of it, they're going to be fine. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, but, I mean, even from the, sorry, the, the movie, they're obviously going to be fine. But even within that, you look at it going, we know you're going to be fine because there's, 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 a, there's a bounce between you that's quite fun. There is. And I, I feel like it, it worked better than it would have if it was Army Hammer and J-Lo. Like, I feel Josh Duhamel, more age-appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the only difficulty you have really with the army hammer recasting is the fact that josh duhamel and jennifer coolidge are actually like probably fairly close in age um like coolidge is like 60 61 like she's younger than you think she is 61 uh and i think josh duhamel's 50 yeah there there you go um but at the same time duhamel and j-lo like pretty good age appropriate couple also it's got to be said like Jennifer Lopez just like is one of the great looking people. Yeah, but Bex Bex again said at one point when it went, Right, I'm calling something unrealistic now. If Jennifer Lopez serves round to you and says, Let's have sex, there is no way you go, let me just finish making this. You go, Yeah. Just that I I I, I, I very much enjoyed the um her being too short to reach the thing. <laughs> And Josh Duhamel being like, "Oh, I hate that you you too you're so short and you have to reach for things." You know, it's just, I, I hate I hate how it turns me on that you're too short to reach things. That that that, that was it. Sorry, yeah, that, which is which is great. Um, and it kind of all it kind of almost feels like she just like whispered in his ear and said, "This is something Ben says to me. This might be funny." Yeah, there, you know, there's, there's definitely something there. That, like you get the feeling like. His casting was her idea because they do seem like they they, they seem like they have they were having fun playing off each other, and they, weirdly yeah. it's um don't know Josh Duhamel is 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 a good looking dude, but it, it it almost feels like a little bit like it, it's quite good that he seems like you could say do you know what that guy's punching a little bit and he he kind of knows it. <laughs> He's Johnny Knoxville's hotter brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. But, but yeah, I he was he was good. Like he can be in more things. Literally, the last thing I saw him in was a game I was playing last week, the Callisto Protocol, mm. where he is the main character. Um, and it, like he's been in other video games. Like he was in um he's he's been in some Call of Duty, and it kind of feels like it never happened for him. Like he was in Transformers and he's been in action films and things like that, and it's never quite happened for him. But then in this, he's good. Yeah, it, it almost feels like one of those where he tried, it never quite worked. So he decided, Do you know what? I can't be bothered to try again. I'm getting too fucking old to try again, and I'm competing with 
dudes that I know I can't compete with. So I'm just going to go off and do like like video game things and do like voiceover work on Batman stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's a shame. I'm, I'm, I've always liked you know. him in anything I've seen him in, to be honest. I've always found him to be quite a, a fun screen presence. And it, he's a lot better at comedy than he is at when he does things where he plays like the budget action man. Yeah, that's yes, and that's what he needs to lean into. But like, like I, I, honestly, I think the, the chemistry between him and, and J Lo in this is probably the highlight. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's good fun. Him explaining to her that she's got a grenade in her hand because she hasn't quite realised. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, you, you remember that time that you know you you told me to pull over and you yeah that was, that was good. He's good. I mean, that's good stuff. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's a good comedic actor. Yeah, yeah, no, fair play. Um, uh, Callie Hernandez is great. Um, I knew I'd recognised her, and, you know, she was in Alien Covenant and whatnot. She's been about. Um, she can be in more things, please. Um, uh, and, yeah, yeah, it just, it, it was a good Saturday night watch. Yep. Looks like a film, it has some kind of lost city-ness to it. Yeah, I, I, the, the, I, I felt there's definitely that. Yeah, there's, there's definitely and, that, uh, and that's that's no bad thing. Lost City is a better film, but this this was this was decent. And like I said earlier, I feel like it would have made some money if they'd actually put it in cinemas. Yeah, I think it, I think actually I think in the few like cinemas that it's had, it was a small release that it's had. It's made like nearly six million. Okay, well there you go then. You know, and you know Amazon to put it out in fuck all screens. Oh, yeah. So, uh, hey, look, definitely not shit. It's yeah, Lord knows it's not going to be turning up like end of year lists or anything like that. But it's it's a it's a decent time, it's a solid time. And I, like I say, yeah. at some point I probably will end up rewatching it again when I'm sort of flicking through and going, ah, fuck it, yeah, I'll watch Josh Duhamel and fucking and J Lo frolic around for two hours. I, I, yeah, I could see Donna and I watching it again at some point. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, our audience poll, definitely not shit 33%. Touching Cloth, 11%. Shit, 33%. And Geostorm, 23%. That's a fucking wide gamut. It is That's actually. a weirdly wide gamut. It is quite a mixed bag there. Um, hey, Hannah, you know, I think you really can't be a good rewatch of a TV show. Would you agree with that, love? Oh, yes, I would. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think during, you know, global pandemics, storms, all of these things, it's quite nice to just sit down and burn through something that you've seen a million Absolutely times. Absolutely nothing like a binge watch. Star Trek. Babylon 5. Because you could sit there for hours looking at serial killer documentaries. Absolutely. Uh, that Netflix. doesn't make you a weird person uh, at all. It doesn't. Yeah, you could watch documentaries that all seem to be about women killing men. Love you, darling. You could put off watching Daredevil for the 30th time. Harry Potter. But really, you can't be immersing yourself in the warm jumper of a rewatch of a show of or a, a franchise. beloved franchise. A beloved franchise. Lord of the Rings. Twin Peaks. From VHS compilations recorded off television with the ad breaks, cut out of course, to DVD box sets of Sex in the City and, I don't know, Smallville. 
Farscape. Quantum Leap. So giving up finding new content on Netflix and just having a comfort trawl through Star Trek The Next Generation or Parks and Recreation. I think that we can all agree... There's a lot to be said for that. You can't beat a good rewatch. So... With that in mind, join Anna and Mike from Chinstroke vs. Panzer as we burn through some of our favourite franchises and share our immediate reactions to each instalment in both spoiler and non-spoiler sections. To do that, do a search for The Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever your favourite podcast provider may be or go directly to anchor.fm forward slash rewatch project. We are proud members of the Pod Syndicate family of podcasts. Hey Jason, you awake? Yeah, Dad, it's been up for hours. Jace, did you eat your oatmeal? Yeah, thanks, Mom. It was delicious. Jason Shepard likes to stretch the truth. Producer Marty Wolf has never told the truth. I think we just hit a kid. Um, I'm on the phone. Fate brought them together. Thanks for the ride, gentlemen. But a lie will keep them together. Big Fat Liar is already being touted as next summer's must-see movie event. That guy stole my paper. How'd you come up with this idea? Some ideas just come to you. Yeah, from my backpack, you loser! Pack your bags, we're going on the trip. Now, two friends are on a mission. Hey, remember me? I wrote Big Fat Liar. This is Hollywood. We play by our own rules. To make one man's life a living nightmare. It's payback time. They're airborne. Got it. What's happening? We're gonna jump! Can I take a message? Mr. Wolf is about to go into a meeting. Color dye? You really think it's gonna work? <laughs> go! What? Charisma from Marcus Duncan's office. Give me his address. 867 North Maple Drive. Die, clown, die! Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes, and Paul Giamatti. Hey, Marty, I like your new coloring. It works for you. You did this. Hiya. Call me. Big Fat Liar. We're moving into phase four. Back off, man! They told me to pick up a little blue car. They didn't say anything about a little blue man. Well, I was today years old when uh, I learned that the National Treasure TV series had already been out. I, I, I knew it was a thing. I just didn't know it was a thing that existed. No, I mean, so uh, Mark and I have been... Uh, uh, corresponding on the on our WhatsApp, uh, even while just taking a little break there, and uh, so on Disney Plus, have a look at the header image for National Treasure: Edge of History. Have a look at the guy on the left, Mark. What did you just describe him as? Because you are bang on. But <laughs> he's not real. He's an NPC for sure. He's PS3 level. <laughs> it is weird. That guy. <laughs> he just. He looks like. His neck doesn't look right. It doesn't, it doesn't look. He doesn't look right at all. He looks. He looks like if I scrolled round with the fucking right analog thing, he'd spin round. Fuck you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You 
you seen this fucking thing? The then? thing is, my brain immediately when I see something like that happens, it goes back to Rupert Friend from uh, uh, Death of Stalin, where he's pointing at that guy and shouts, "You're not even a person." No, no. I mean, great. Yeah, the next yeah, line yeah. is, "You're not even a person. You're a testicle." But, <laughs> but that line, for some reason, at any moment like that, sticks in my head. Um, I mean. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in that series. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Hollywood is not exactly knocking down her fucking door anymore, is it? Wow-wee. Um, I think I've found this guy. He's from the stage. Antonio Cipriano. Yeah, he's from the Jagged Little Pill. Um... <laughs> Alanis Morissette musical. <laughs> Which I, I was today uh, years old when I found out there was a jagged little pill musical. Wow, um, we. Found, I found the other guy as well. The, the uh, I can't okay. believe it's not Ryan Philippe. <laughs> Jake Austin Walker. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah, sure. God, it's like Skin Job the movie. Fucking <laughs> yeah, TV hell, series. Alright, fair enough. Anyway, National Treasure TV series. Wow. Um Okay, let's uh let's talk about some what we've been watching. I so Mark, you've got a lot. I'm kind of feel feeling like maybe you do half, then I'll do all of mine, then you do half. I've definitely got less than you this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I can speed round a few of these, so maybe I'll speed round some. And then uh, well, yeah, over. see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I... Yeah. Uh, last night, the film we decided to watch, instead of watching Shotgun Wedding before, uh, last night when we got home, which we did intend to watch Shotgun Wedding, but then Beck turned on and said, we could watch Shotgun Wedding with breakfast tomorrow. I was like, yeah, what are you thinking of watching tonight? She's like, kind of want to watch Escape from New York. Um, and I, I never need to get asked twice to watch Escape from New York. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I it, it's it's a film that we watch quite often. Um, but I'm always like a taken aback of how brilliantly... Um, like, this is Carpenter really in his fucking mojo phase where he is just on absolute form. But Escape from New York, one thing I always love about it is how the opening is actually really quite slow. And so everything up until the point where he gets into New York, where he gets like when he essentially pilots into New York, everything happens quite slowly. It's quite a sedate pace. No one's rushing around even though there's this um you know, there's a deadline. The film moves at quite a slow pace. And it's so that once you get to New York, it can then move at this frantic pace and then it feels like the film's got more urgency. And it's just a really simple, clever sort of directorial way of going, well, I'm going to, how do I create the feeling of more urgency? It's if I just make everything else just a bit slower to start off with and then just speed everything up afterwards and it's so fucking clever and so fucking good that the only time when the movie is moving at a propulsion pace is when you are actually actively just spending time with Snape Plissken yeah yeah it's just yeah and obviously it's it's one of the great cinema scores as well um 
yeah, just I've spoken about it before quite a lot of times, but it's just it's always nice the fact that you you pick up or you we pick up on different things whenever you go back and watch films like Escape from New York. I feel like with Carpenter liking video games as much as he does, I feel like if you know if he's not going to get a movie made of, a, of Escape from Earth, do a fucking game. Yeah, like. Just do, do even if it's only like eight hours or something like that. But it's like high production value. It doesn't need to be open well. Tell a linear story. Like have Carpenter like direct it or at least like be heavily involved. And it, why why not do that? I mean, I'd prefer if Netflix were like, "Here you go, Johnny. It's forty million dollars. Do 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 an escape movie." But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No. But I mean, if you did a game for it, you could you could even go. Okay, we can have we can have Kurt Russell's voice on it. Oh, dude, fucking get 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 him like digitally scanned and whatnot. Mm. Absolutely, just have him fucking motion capture being Snake again. Yeah, yeah, that it work. It just it feels a little bit like Carpenter is was almost because he's not done anything. What was it? Over, over a decade ago, and he's not reading anything for like twenty years properly, with the exception of was it the Ward, uh, which was just like I say, not not very good. Um, but his his late seventies to realistic sort of early nineties output was in was incredible, um, and not just like just really like important films, insanely entertaining films that you know have. have that are still kind of viewed now. Um, right, go, the- go, go through his filmography, like, now, like, from the start, and let's say stop when we're, like, that's not at least a 7 out of 10. Yes, right, let me just get to his filmography and we'll go through it. Right, so we've got Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog... Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, uh, Memoirs of Invisible Man, which is actually... Stop. It, I, I'd say that is a lot... That is a good film. It's a fucking fun movie. I don't think... It, but I, I don't think I'd necessarily say it's a 7 out of 10. I reckon you could, quite easily. What? I wonder if I've got it on Letterboxd, I don't know. I feel like we've got a bit of space to chat here, by the way, because it's only 20 past seven and all we've got left is this and Twitter questions. Um, So, uh, memoirs. If I can spell memoirs correctly. Of Invisible Man. Have I logged it? I haven't logged it on Letterboxd, so I don't know. All right, but... It, even if you, so, but it, it like say you take out Dark Star, take out Memoirs of an Invisible Man. How many films is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten in a twelve-year period. Who has got a record as consistent as that? No, it it, it it's staggering that the Fog and Escape from New York were were like like six months apart. I think there was it was something ridiculous. Like there was only like thirteen or fourteen months between the fog and the thing. That's the thing because like even the fog like low key slaps. Yeah, 
It does. It's it, the fog kind of almost gets lost up in it, it being like the in between move. I know there's Escape from New York there, but being the in between horror movie that's between Halloween and the Thing. But the fog is is still really good and a really interesting movie. The fact that it's just this malevolent fog, <laughs> and it's like the score is great, mm. and those those pirates don't take anybody prisoners. Mm. You know, it, yeah, I, it's fantastic, and you've got. I mean, after memoirs, it's what in the mouth of madness. The mouth of madness, village of the damned, escape from LA, vampires, ghosts of Mars, and then the ward. Yeah, so I mean, hey, it definitely gets more shaky, mm. but in the mouth of madness is terrific. Um, Prince of Darkness is one of the underappreciated horror films. Yeah. Like end of yeah, um, it, it 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 is just an absolutely dynamite a career. It, even even if like li- like he's made, he's not made a film that you could maybe call very good for thirty years. Well, I mean, like literally thirty years at this point. Yeah, but. My word, what like a fifteen years, fifteen twenty years beforehand. Yeah. My my word. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I, I I almost think a little bit like Carpenter doesn't get as much kind of like credence as he probably deserves outside of like people who like John Carpenter movies, which I know sounds a little bit obvious, but it's just like you know he was you know th- th- these films were actually were, were commercially successful as well. It wasn't like he was just making like indie hits, you know. The that the films were making money as well. I say, when he does eventually pass, I feel like he's the kind of filmmaker who does just have so much general industry respect that they will do a like potentially a special couple minutes for him at the Oscars. Yeah, They'll, yeah, because he's, you know, he, he was. He was innovating as well. He was doing like interesting stuff um, and was having a, a political voice without sort of hammering it down your throat. Um, yeah, it, it's... I mean, like I said, we've got... Even in our living room, we've got three uh, John Carpenter posters up. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a... Uh, he, he's my go-to comfort film watch uh, filmmaker, I would say, for sure. And yeah, I mean, his, I, I, I mean, even right. even not within that, I, I, you know, because that was just his his um, the Elvis movie that he made with uh, that was technically a TV movie uh, that he made with um, Kurt Russell is a really good watch. Yeah, I mean, look, one of my prized possessions and maybe the greatest kind of like present. Donna has ever given me is a framed Death Waltz record Carpenter art print signed by Carpenter. Yeah. Um, and it, it's hung up in our living room. Um, and we don't, we don't like that's actually the only bit of film paraphernalia on the living room wall. Like our hallway is where like my film art tends to go, even though my Blade Runner uh, 2049 one. Uh, we're moving that into the living room. I need to do that. Um, but yeah, it's it, so, and uh, you know, it's like I got, I, I bought the Halloween 
seven inch signed by Carpenter at one of the gigs. Like, how many times have we seen him? Is it twice? Twice, yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, that, and that's wild. The fact that you know, is this like major film director, and we've just see, been to see him perform his own scores live twice. Yep. <laughs> Bonk, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really weird, actually, when you kind of say it out loud, but it's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, it just... Man, I, I... The thing is, I both... I want him to do another film, but also I want him to just play his video games and be happy. That's it. I want him to do another film if you could tell me... At the, if, you, if you could sort of... Before it, before it happens, if, if I could go... Right... Is it going to be like a an eight out of ten, and it's going to be? Do you know what? Yeah, it doesn't need to blow the fucking the, the doors off, but is it going to be at least good? <laughs> Actually, do you know what? I just need to know: Did he make it on his terms? Yeah, that's it. And the thing is, I think he if he ever did make another movie, which he's very much come out and said, I, you know, I'm not saying I won't. I'm just saying I don't know that I can be bothered. <laughs> it's very much like. If he did announce next week, I'm making a movie for X streamer, or I'm making a movie for X studio, you know that it's because he's got the budget, he's got everything that he wants, he doesn't need to do it. Yeah. Yeah, quite. Um, But also, he talked about how much he'd like to make a Dead Space movie, and apparently someone's already attached to it. It's like, let Carpenter make a Dead Space movie. Yeah, just let him do it. Just let him do it. Like, it's... Yeah. Um, cool. Sorry. This That was film number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, don't worry. I've got a few that I can just kind of bounce through. Um, I, I, I engaged on that more than I usually do, so that's my fault. Well, Sorry, go on. The next one I watched was... Um, was a film called uh, Heavyweights. <laughs> um, this is the one that Noel put in the chat, a snip of your letterbox to that saying, never change, yes, yeah? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah. Okay. Um, directed by Stephen Brill uh, and written by him and Judd Apatow. <laughs> um, and it's about a kid who gets sent away, essentially, to... It, it, the, the film opens um, with a guy who's trying to um, essentially sell this summer camp um, to the kid's parents. And the parents are trying to kind of get the kid to go along with it. Um and to go like along with the fact that it's going to be this summer camp, but it's got this, you know, all of this fun activities and everything like that. And then the kid realizes about halfway through the commercial that he's been shown for it that it's actually a fat camp. Uh, and he's like, I don't need to go to fat camp. And they're all there. And this is like mid nineties. Like you could not get away with making this movie now. Um, and so like, both the parents kind of look at him and go, eh, "You could do with going to fat camp." Um, and then the Fat Camp is run by um, Jerry Stiller and I can't remember who else it is uh, and uh, Marera. Um and so like he meets some kids like on the way to Fat Camp that are also going to Fat Camp. Um, who like one of the kids comes up to him and goes, "Are you on your way to um, Fat Camp?" And he's like, uh, "Why would you say that?" And the kid just <laughs> the kid just looks at him and goes, "Good, you're fat." <laughs> and he's like, "Hey," and he's like, "Well, I'm going to Fat Camp because I'm fat." Um, but when they get there, it turns out that the um, that the people who own it, that the really fun people, um, are, are actually have gone out of business, and it's been bought out by Ben Stiller's character, 
uh, Tony Perkis, who is just trying to essentially get a TV show out of it. Um, and he's... Think of the characters that Ben Stiller might play in this, and it's that character, exactly. Um, it's... The thing is, I watched it... It was very much a lunchtime at work watch. I watched it over, like, a lunchtime and a break, and then, like, a little bit of another break. Um, so you don't... I have to pick these movies quite carefully. It can't be anything that I'm going to get absolutely fucking too engrossed in, and it can't be anything that might show something that if somebody is sat near me and they can just about see my iPad screen that is, like, that I'm going to be going, shit, I don't want to fucking see this. Um, but, yeah... The most fun part of it is Paul Feig plays one of the camp counsellors that's there. Oh, really? Yeah. And honestly, Paul Feig is just... It just seems like a... He seems like he'd be a really good, like, night out. Like, you wouldn't get absolutely smashed with him, but you would... you'd You'd get merry enough, but he'd just probably fucking tell you some fucking great stories. Um... There's a bit where they they basically get sent to a dance and um, none of them, um, none of the, the kids are getting up and dancing. So Paul Feig takes it upon himself to go, I need to get this party started. And so goes up and rolls up his sleeves and starts dancing. And it's just, you look at it going, Fuck, this guy just seems like a great time. It's just brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean... It's exactly what you expect it to be. It's kind of fun, a little bit stupid, um, and yeah, but I had a good enough time with it. Nice. Yeah, I also watched Camp Nowhere, um, which was like the second of my weird like camp trilogy that I didn't uh, duo films I didn't actually mean to watch, um, and this is where Christopher Lloyd essentially ends up accidentally agreeing to take on a uh, a summer camp because this kid's parents are trying to send him away to some kind of like military camp and he doesn't want to go to that he wants to go to a computer camp uh, it, it's not very good <laughs> even I will admit this one is is not very good at all uh, it's yeah nobody needs to watch it I have taken that hit on watching it so nobody else needs to Uh I'll throw in two more, and then I'll hand over to yourself. Sure. Uh, Big Fat Liar, uh, Sean Levy movie. The fuck do you spend your time watching stuff like that, Mark? <laughs> right, the Frankie Muniz film. Frankie Muniz, Paul Giamatti, and Amanda Baines movie, yes. Yep. Yep. I think this is the last of the what the fuck have you watched Mark. movies. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I watched Big Fat Liar. So the whole premise of Big Fat Liar is Frankie Mooney's uh, character um, is a bit of a storyteller, Jason, his character, where he's a bit of a compulsive liar and uses it to like get out of like scrapes and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, he's 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 lied to get out of a scrape and he's it's caught up with him. So he basically has to write this story like. Um, so he doesn't get held back a year. And he writes this story of a character called Big Fat Liar, um, where it's a character who, essentially, the more he lies, the bigger he grows and ends up growing, like, too big. Uh, Upon writing this story and trying to get it, he has, like, a deadline to get it to his teacher. Um, 
he ends up getting knocked off his bike by um, Paul Giamatti's Marty Wolf's limo, uh, who is like a Hollywood movie producer. Who then love ag- that you know his full name. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Then agrees Marty to... Um, like, Paul Giamatti character then agrees to give him a lift to the, what is it, um, to, like, the school so he won't sue him for knocking him over. Um, whilst he's doing that, uh, Frankie Muniz, unbeknownst to himself, drops the story um, in the limo. Paul Giamatti, uh, Marty Wolf then reads it and turns it into a, a, the next blockbuster uh, movie. And then Frankie Muniz just keeps telling his dad, no, that is the story that I wrote that you didn't believe me that I wrote. And I need to get it. So goes goes to Hollywood with his best friend played by Amanda Bynes um, to just to, to essentially to kidnap uh, Marty Wolf to get him to admit that he did write that story. Are you okay? My takeaway from this is, right. um, had Amanda Baines not had her issues uh, that she has had, um, which, you know, apparently she's on the other side of and is preparing to make a bit of a comeback to public life and hopefully return to acting, um, she's fucking great in this. Like, as a as a child performance, she's really fucking entertaining and just a lot of fun. And you, you watch it going, yeah, I can see why she was like put down as being the next big thing because she's just a, just a good amount of fun, sends herself up. There's a bit where she, um, Frankie Muniz asks her to create a diversion and she does so that she can get it, so that he can get into this office. So she creates a diversion by uh, like essentially getting the, um, like the girl on the reception to go outside because they're saying that her car is parked on a dog and then to sort of kill time while she's waiting for it she just takes over doing like the receptionist job <laughs> and it's it's just really quite amusing <laughs> watching her do it it's quite I, I I had a I had a much better time with Big Fat Lion than I thought I would <laughs> cool and then the other one that I'll do before I hand over to you <laughs> is another. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. I just, I there is there are so many films. There there are so many films. Yep. So the other one that I watched was another Stephen Brill film, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I've I watched this. I I would say that I think that I am the human who has watched this movie the most, <laughs> without question. I'm willing to go to bat for that. But I rewatched uh, Without a Paddle, um, the Seth Green, Matthew Lillard, Dax Shepard uh, movie that all course contains Burt Reynolds uh, within it. Mm. Um, I really like Without a Paddle. It's a really fucking fun movie and is a lot better than it has any right to be. It's good. Yep. Go on, what have you been watching? By the way, the rest of my things are actually pretty good. Apart from one that I did message you about, not apart from, I'm not saying apart from, there's one, I think you agree with me that it's a good movie, that I I said should be reviewed as a, 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 should be on Criterion and should be a fucking classic and nobody, nobody else is willing to admit this. I legit have no idea what that is referencing. Your your text the other day, I was like, what the fuck is he talking about there? But 
Okay, well, hey, there's 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 a there's a teaser. Um, okay, so yeah, I've I've only got a few, and uh, a couple will be like super super quick. So uh, you know, I rewatched everything everywhere all at once uh, for the the list last week, and obviously it was my number two, if memory serves. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it just it is a fantastic film that even with all the swirls of hype around it, it is just like yeah, that film is just a bit of an insight into what cinema like the direction the cinema's going in it kind of feels like a film like Shaun of the Dead back in the day where you're going to get people in their teens and early 20s watching it and going like fuck me I really want to make films a go Mm -hmm. like I want to be in the industry um and yeah just it's a marvelous marvelous piece of work is EAAO and i Wish it all the luck in the world in the upcoming award season, not that it needs it. Um, so, also a film that I wish all the luck in the world in the upcoming award season is uh, a little film called Top Gun Maverick, uh, which I watched for the fifth time uh, nice. this weekend. Um, because I just love it and it was friday night after watching severance and whatnot donna had left the room for a couple of minutes and i was just like i was gonna put maverick on for however long donna's out of the room for and then she came back in i was like oh do you want me to put it off and she was like no it's all right she was like on her phone and she was like you know i've like you know i've not seen this so i'll have a look at it every now and then and she completely switched off it's just not one of her things and that's absolutely fair enough um donna watches an awful lot of shows that i have zero interest in and that's absolutely fine so you know um and uh yeah i so top gun maverick that what i particularly took out of it this time round, um i think eddie hamilton has got a really good shout of winning the best uh, editing oscar um there's some really just Thumping cuts in this, yeah, uh, and it it like it just works incredibly well, and just the amount, also the amount of footage that he had, because the the whole when the actors were like up in 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 the planes, it was like they had to basically do their own cinematography, and like they shot, they just shot loads of stuff. And it might be that in any given session, there's like five seconds worth of usable shots or lines. And Hamilton had to go through all that footage and create coherent stuff. And it it just all beautifully works. Um, Also, when Lady Gaga sings Hold My Hand at the end, literally the moment she says that, Tom Cruise grabs Jennifer Connelly's hand. Um, and I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg with that, <laughs> and it rules. Uh, it's so good. Also, um, uh, 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 oh God, what's his name? Uh, Charles Parnell, I think his name is, who plays Warlock. Um, he, the, the guy who does the fist pumping at the end. Yes. Um, like, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. He's just like really stoic through the whole thing and kind of like him and Hondo uh, in the film. They're like advising Maverick and um, 
you know, like I don't like it that with Hondo, it's got the running thing. If I don't like like the, I don't like that look, Mav. It's the only one I got. Uh, but then Warlock, he's like he's really stoic, and then at the end, he just does that fist pump with that smile, and you know he's been holding that in all movie long. <laughs> yeah, because that that movie is all about people reacting to the legend that is Pete Mitchell and Tom Cruise. And so you've got... that He is just professionally playing it cool, whereas Hondo in the film just looks at Tom Cruise every single shot as if he's in just utter awe of him. And it's like, because they're they're, they're colleagues, but they're also obviously friends. Warlock, not, not so much, but at the end, he just has to do that. And then you contrast that with John Hamm. And I really, really like that in this, John Hamm is like, I know I'm not the star. I've been the star in plenty of other things before. You know, I was in one of the most important TV series of this century. I was the lead. But I know this is Tom Cruise's film. Yep. And like he's basically bring it like almost that character is bringing that into it. This where he is his superior. And it's just like, I don't vibe with you at all. I went through the ranks and I don't have that relationship that um, you have with Iceman. I'm I'm just a guy who is above you telling you to do shit. And, and there we are. And I think you're dangerous. I think you're reckless, blah, 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 blah. But through the film, it's just eking away at him that, do you know what, Mav actually has this. You know, like there's the the sequence where uh, um, they're they're on the beach playing um, playing um, uh, oh, fuck I can't remember what it's called. It's like American football, but it's like the dog fight, dog fight yes. ball or something. And there, John Ham starts chewing him out and giving him shit, but then sees the logic of it, but never actually says that. Yeah, he, 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 he has a bit of a look. He starts chewing him out, then he starts looking up and kind of almost realizes, ah. Fuck, I get why he's doing this now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he's picking him for the mission. He's like, I've got absolutely all the evidence that I need to court-martial you and, like, you never fly a plane again. But I'm going to do this. And he, he, like, he never says, like, you're the right man for the job. He never congratulates him or, or anything like that. And the one, one moment that you get is in that shot where Warlock is so happy and fist pumping John Hamm is doing this look on his face that is this just this contorted I'm trying to hold in a smile and it's just this grimace but it, it it's literally he still just can't do it like when he's not in Mav's eyeline, like when he's l- reacting to what Mav is doing in that kind of like command centre um, and he's like doing these like surprised faces and things like that I, I'm convinced that character would not do that in front of Maverick he would not show that in front of him mm-hmm. and this is just the closest he can get, like it, it's really good, it's a good subtle character art and I swear to God, Top Gun Maverick has just got these layers all the way through it. And it, it just, it's... 
man, it just succeeds on every level. But I just, I find interesting shit in it every time. Because I'd never really considered that about John Hamm. But I was watching him in this. And yeah, it's there. It's there. Yeah, so he, he, you know, he's definitely yeah. not just there to make up the numbers, is he? No, that that no, exactly, exactly. Um, it's it's wonderful. Also, just Lewis Pullman is Bob. <laughs> just I love the fact that in the first scene he's in, he's a bit of a figure of fun, but then he's just proven himself. And then he he is kind of he is just one of the team, and you know the uh, the the football sequence. He grabs the ball, and they're all like Bob, 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 and they're not taking the piss out of him. He is just one of the team, and he is just incredibly dependable. And you know that he's got um, uh, uh, Monica Barbaro's back, um, Phoenix, her back, and it it just it pays out like a slot machine every single time. This film. It's, it it's, not it, it's such lost a, a step. clever thing as well, the fact that his code name is just Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it is like, because it is just a bit of a piss take or something like that. And it, it just, but no, he is just really dependable. And a lesser film would have had scenes of him getting fucking bullied in the changing room or, and Pete like having a sit down with him and talking to him and he finds his arc through the... F- no, he, he 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 graduated Top Gun. Yep. He and, and so because of that, they, they, they kind of are very much like, do you know what? He's he, he's done what we've done. There you go. Yeah. And, and just that great... Mo- that Early on as well, when they're first flying and um, Hangman's taking the piss out of him, like, oh, was Bob Stanford baby on board? And just the way that... Um, uh, like at the end of that sequence, like he's um, uh, at the fucking um, Glenn Powell is uh, like, like where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And uh, it's just like we're, we're we're dead, dickhead. And then Bob says something. Oh fucking, I can't remember what it is, but it's like this really good line. Um, and but it's just like the respect that kind of everybody has for him in that moment. It's 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 terrific. Like, it just. Top Gun Maverick. Hey, man, I have talked about that film so much, and yet it just layers. Yep. And so, yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so uh, Fire of Love. So uh, a couple of films now that I'm um, kind of getting through Oscar nominees. So uh, Fire of Love direct uh, nominated for best documentary. Uh, so this is the story of Katia and Maurice Kraft a French couple who meet uh, and fall in love over a shared love of volcanoes. Um, and they basically go around the world uh, documenting volcanoes, uh, become kind of like celebrities in France. Um, and then, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but it's kind of said at the start of the film, uh, they die doing what they loved. Um, so... Did you know volcanoes are really dangerous? Because I, no I knew they were yeah. dangerous, but man, there is some footage in this film, and it's all like stuff that they shot, you know, and it, it's all kind of like just taking things at the time, and yeah, there's no like talking heads or anything. Um, it's just telling their story through what they were saying at the time, and some of the footage they capture, like there's one of like just this lava coming down, like behind houses 
which is just chilling. Um, and they're, they're, they're talking about the different kinds of lava and smoke. And it's like the red one is okay because you know where the lava's flowing. But if there's a grey volcano, that's the fucker. Um, and it's just really, really captivating footage. But then also these two people who obviously really love each other. But through the years, he is a showman. She isn't. And there are just these like little cracks in the relationship that the film never really quite gets into because it's meant to be a celebration of them. And yet it kind of keeps on bringing up how much he likes talking about this stuff and how much she doesn't really. Like he wants to get in the action and then talk about how he was in there and she wants to just study it. Um, But yeah, incredible footage. And the... Uh, yeah, just the stuff at the end that, and there, there's a moment early on as well where you you hear someone talking about like a volcano erupting and like it coming towards them, and then it cuts out, and then about five ten minutes later, you realise that that was basically that person died, and they just put out this recording, and then basically just got killed by a volcano, um, and and like the mo the, the last moments of the crafts or what the last moments you get on on camera and then the assumption like basically they found their remains and they they were together holding hands yeah and it's like fuck me it's uh really really heavy but really beautiful and it's got a very french sensibility like the footage in it feels very much like the kind of stuff that um Wes Anderson was trying to do it with do with the life aquatic just like even like the the way they're dressed and things like that it's um yeah it's 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 really very very good i mean i'm i'm hopefully i'm going to see all the beauty and the bloodshed this week which is the uh the front runner for best documentary and it's playing chapter here so um i'm going to try and check that out but i at this moment in time wouldn't be annoyed if fire of love uh one it's uh it's 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 yeah it's pretty great and it's on disney plus so, yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's 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 just it's it's just out there waiting for people to be able to watch it. I think we're me and Bex are going to try and watch it next week or so. Yeah, it, good time. Um, okay, so uh, my other Oscar watch for the week, <laughs> nominated for best cinematography, the only award it got, even though I think everybody involved were thinking it was going to get more, Empire of Light. So. Uh, this is the film written and directed by Sam Mendes, so it is only he to blame. Um, and um, this is set uh, in a cinema on the coast uh, where Olivia Coleman plays the duty manager of the cinema who has um, some mental health issues. Uh, Michael Ward plays a uh, younger guy who's just started working uh, working there. Um, he's uh, experiencing kind of like racial hate issues. Um, he's, you know, it, but he, he's walking along and is beset by people. Um, and it's about... Um, I mean, like in the first 20 minutes or so, they have sex... Um, uh, these people who is what at least twenty years between them, um, uh, having sex and getting to know each other, and 
Colin Firth plays the manager of the cinema who um, in the first 10 minutes of the film asks Olivia Coleman to suck him off while she's wanking him off um, which is something I never need to hear again um, and um, Toby Jones plays a projectionist who has a couple of monologues about how great movies are so um, this film if it was written by someone who wasn't Sam Mendes, would not have been made, or at least in this shape. Because this feels Cause like the thing is Sam Mendes. Well, it's only the it's the first film he has solely written, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just a bit weird that that is yeah that it's the first one he's this, solely written by him, and it's probably his least well received movie. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously written it in lockdown and it's part of a fair a few films this year that are this is how much I love cinema yep but it's also trying to say some things about uh, mental health issues which um I, 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 I don't know feel maybe uneducated um and trying to say some stuff about racism which is hey did you know racism's bad um but then also tries to depict this sexual relationship between these two people who don't really have any chemistry uh, that i do not understand i don't i like just on a connection level i don't know why the uni like the uni age lad wants to shag Olivia Coleman as much as he does uh Olivia Coleman is kind of like almost rightly playing it as well this is happening this is all right I'll I'll take this thank you very much um but then through the through the film things happen and that it it changes from a sexual relationship into a friendship which is just such an odd way of going about things, and I, yeah, I, it, it's, uh, you know, if if it if it was gender swapped, this film would be chased out of town. Um, as it is here, it just feels odd, and like I say, they've got zero chemistry. Um, and she plays a very mentally damaged woman who at one point is basically sectioned. Oh. And I, I, I don't... But then, like I say, ev- like Toby Jones has the, like a couple of moments where he's the projectionist and he's talking to Michael Ward about the power of cinema. And by the end of it, the message of it seems to be you can be mentally all right as long as you watch a good film. It, it's... A baffling bit of work. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's kind of caught anybody, really. No, and I mean, like, the only reason why it's got a cinematography nomination is because of Roger Deakins. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's Deakins, and didn't Atticus Ross and Trent Messenger the score? Yeah, and the score's actually really good. There's a great, kind of slightly atonal kind of thing that they do where 
um, the workers of the cinema are watching a bunch of mopeds go by and it's like they're thinking like, oh, this is really cool. It's like some sort of like big moped lovers thing. But then they realise, oh shit, it's about a bunch of skinheads on the march. And like the way the, the music evolves there is is fantastic. Um and, and yeah, I mean, like I say, it's like there are moments in it of kind of like racial hate, but it's just this is happening. It's a couple of moments about how much cinema means. But it doesn't really seem to mean anything to the characters. It's a bad film. It's a it's a really a, quite a bad film, which is worse more now that I'm talking about it. Colin Firth, I don't know how he gets this script and is like, yeah, sure. Um, Olivia Coleman gets a fantastic scene screaming at him and embarrassing him about uh, his sexual proclivities. Um, which is, I think, coded as funny but also tragic. I, I, I it, this is a, it's a real misstep. Is Empire of Light? It's a real misstep, mm. and the only reason why it got that nomination is Roger Deakins, and there's a scene with fireworks. Otherwise, I, I don't know. It, they shot the inside of a cinema well. Does it, does um, it deserve the? Yeah. The best cinematography nomination, or is it? No, is... God, no. When Top Gun Maverick doesn't get a nomination, and this does, no. So it literally is because it's Deacon's only movie this year. It, it, I think it is, and yeah, um, absolutely baffling. Um, it honestly, I, I would love to know what Sam Mendes was actually trying to do with this. It is one of the most muddled films to come out of an established filmmaker in a good number of years. And it is just that whole film. Films are great, aren't they? Kind of thing. But also he's trying to do other things. And it's just like, mate, just honestly, you need to pick a lane with this because you're also dealing with some really touchy subject matter and you're not really getting any of it right. So yeah, there you go. Empire of Light. It's shit. Just try to do too many things at once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what's not trying to do too many things at once? What? Plane. <laughs> plane starts off. Title comes up, Plane. And it starts with Jerry Butler running into the airport because he's running late for his flight. And it's just go, go, go. <laughs> um, no, it's like straight up. It, I mean, it's... it's it, it, like it just there is no context it's just he's a pilot he meets his co-pilot he meets all the staff and whatnot he's asked to come out for a second oh yeah what's going on oh there's a prisoner on this flight all right keep him away from the other passengers they'll get spooked okay cool um he's told that there's some rough weather and he's he's told to go on a course instead of another course because it will save fuel and then the plane crashes and he's able to get it down it's on an island in the Philippines and that island doesn't really have any police force. No one knows where they are. And Jerry Butler and the convict on the plane play, played by Mike Coulter uh, basically have to try and find a way to get them gone. 
Um, plane is really, really tense. Um, there is a plane crash at the end and then uh, something else... Uh, at the beginning, sorry, and something else at the end, which is just all very, very, very tense. Butler is playing Scottish in this, which is great. Um, but also, he's capable, and in a one-on-one -on -one fight, he, he can do shit. But at the same time, when it's him against a bunch of people with guns, he can't do that by himself. Through the film, through like various plot shenanigans support comes in and then it's him with a lot of other people with him fighting off these forces it's not he's a one-man army and that actually i don't know it kind of felt as realistic as it probably could be for a film called plane yeah um mike coulter felt like there was some stuff on the cutting room floor there um it's a weirdly when it's like Jerry Butler teaming up with a convict, it's weirdly underdeveloped. There's some stuff at the beginning where he's just like, oh, you know, let me out. Blah, blah, blah. But after a point, he's just like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have your back. And he's just a guy who has Jerry Butler's back. But whatever. Um, there's some terrific um, people in the... Uh, uh, the uh, airplane companies uh like conference room uh kind of like debating shit and like the guy who told him to go over a particular this weather pattern that brought them down getting a load of shit and people going get me blah, 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 on the phone now and blah, blah, you know we can't do that that's going to be suicide well it's the only chance they've got you know it's that kind of thing and it, it just it's a great example of one of these movies it's really entertaining and it's tense and it's like an hour 47 you know yeah, just like, a, a properly you're, good like action thriller yeah you're, you're basically before credits it's probably like 100 minutes and it's like that's absolutely fine um i really did quite enjoy my time with playing actually i've i've, I've got to say directed by the guy directed uh the nest and the assault on precinct 13 remake um, Jean-Francois Richet, Richet I want to yeah. say his name is and uh, it, yeah I mean he, he does well it's making some money in the US it's done about 25 million so far you know it's one of those films that is going to be fucking watched on Netflix forever yeah um, and yeah hey uh, Butler he's done it again playing good time good yeah it, it, it's going to be a, it's going to end up being like I say like a, a Netflix watch for me that I'll probably thoroughly enjoy i mean i am glad i did empire of light and then playing in my double bill yesterday i'll tell you that for free <laughs> but for like a bit of calm down if you've watched it the way around mate empire of light is so fucking shit i can't like it is so weird that sam mendez did that is it like it's so weird i mean at least it's only like two hours long <laughs> yeah no i mean it is but i it just what were they? What were they thinking? That I can't believe that Olivia Coleman does this, and he's like, "Yeah, all right, this looks all right." <laughs> anyway, or or Colin Firth, but yeah. Anyway, uh, that's me. Cool. I'll 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 do the last six that I've got. Uh, well, I spoke about the last show a little bit when I put it as number five, my worst movies of, uh, of last year. Yeah, I, I finally watched Blackbird. Um, and oh yeah, it's it is just 
it's just a bit shit. Um, it's yeah, it, it, Michael Flatley. If you're going to make a movie where you are essentially infallible in every way, at least actually make yourself you know vaguely interesting. And yeah, it's just set on this fucking like Caribbean island where just everybody just happens to be Irish. <laughs> Such a fucking yeah. I I am. Um, it's one of those. I'm kind of glad it exists because it's funny that uh, Michael Flatley has spent like ten million quid of his own money to make it. <laughs> um, rounding off my uh, triple bill of Steve Brill movies, uh, I watched uh, last week. I rewatched the uh, movie The Do Over, uh, the Adam Sandler and David Spade one. Um, and yeah, I remember when we, I think we, 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 we and I know we reviewed this because we reviewed all of these uh, Adam Sandler um, Netflix deal movies. And I think this was like the first of like the second tranche of ones he did. Uh, and it was, it, it was a decent amount of fun and it remains kind of a decent amount of fun. Um, Paula Patton and Catherine Hahn in it as well. Um, who are had good fun in there. Sandler's doing some good work. Uh, Spade is just essentially just there as the bit that Sandler can take the piss out of, and that's quite a lot of fun. But it, it, it's just, it, it's kind of, it, it's one of the better, along with like murder mysteries uh, of the modern Adam Sandler movies uh, that's out there. It's it's fun enough, uh, even though it's. Five, six, or seven, getting on for seven years old now. There are still some bits in it that you go, "Ooh, don't think that would be a joke in in a film now." Yeah. Uh, what else have I watched? Uh, rewatch of a of, of Sphere, uh, the Barry nice. Levinson uh, movie uh, with Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Peter Coyote and Lee Schreiber, who are sent down to the bottom of the ocean um, because uh, they, they, you know, they, they essentially they realise that they've, for the first time ever, have um, have got contact with other life forces. And I, I enjoy the fact that the whole premise, the fact that the reason why. Um, Dustin Hoffman's been sent down there because he's a psychologist and there's also like two physicists and a mathematician and um, a, I think Sharon Stone plays like a I think she's like a geologist or something like that it's all based around a paper um, that Dustin Hoffman wrote saying that if you're going to have first contact with um, other beings, these are the sort of people you would need to go because their their language would be based around um, geology and math and you would need to have a psychologist uh, because the people who were having contact with them would need to be psychologically kind of like counselled because it would be too much for it. And then he very quickly, at the start of it, admits that it's complete nonsense and he just came up with it because he happened to know these people and thought that it would sound good in a paper. And then the American government have, have gone, well, no, this guy seems to have a fucking plan. <laughs> and, and that's kind of fun. <laughs> that's the reason why they're all there. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's 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 a 
I mean, it was kind of like derided at the time because it cost a lot of money, and you know, and you know, Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, and Samuel Jackson were huge stars at the time. It was based around a Michael Crichton uh, novel, and you know, he was still riding high from uh, you know the the still name of of, of Jurassic Park was still ringing around. Uh, but it's you're watching it going, yep. Yep, I'm watching this, but I don't see any reason for why, other than the fact that the Blu-ray still hasn't come out, that I am not watching The Abyss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is just a mm-hmm. better version of Sphere. But I, I had enough fun with it. It's kind of... it. it it's it's a big, dumb uh, sci-fi movie. Uh, yep. Rewatched Cool Runnings. Not watched it for a long time and thought, fuck it, Solid. why not? Um... Cool Runnings is a really good film, and you can absolutely see why it became a, uh, no pun intended, runaway hit um, in the, the early 90s. I remember got to see this at the cinema. Um, John Candy's fucking great, and he's a terrible loss. Yep. Um, yep, too right. The sheer just levels, and the fact that he could be comedically brilliant as both a... Um, a line delivery and a physical comedian. And I don't just mean like Fat Man Fall Down physical comedian. I mean just using a physicality to his comedy. Uh, but also have this unbelievable depth of humanity uh, within himself. That he could absolutely crush um, scenes with just bringing that level of humanity. is is just brilliant and is just such a fucking loss. That guy, that guy quite easily would have... A couple of Oscars just in the bank by now. Um, had he, you know, still been around. And I, yep. I think I remember when he died, it being like the, one of the first kind of like times I was aware uh, of like a like a, 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 an actor passing and being a little bit like, oh, that shit, <laughs> because you know he'd been in a lot of like the formative kind of movies around that time so this even just around the early 90s before I'd even got back to I mean I think I'd watched things like The Great Outdoors and Planes, Trains, Automobiles and Spaceballs but like Uncle Buck Home Alone um, and then things like I mean like Rookie of the Year he was in that and then Cool Runnings and I was seeing like Wagons East after he died and bits like that so yeah but it is it is good to go back and watch that film um, we watched La La Land um, off the back yep. of watching Babylon, uh, just felt like I'd not watched it. I think I'd only seen it twice, and you know, it held it up in quite high regard. It's, it's a fucking great movie, is La La Land, um, and it's it's weird in the sense that you can absolutely see that Babylon is made by the same filmmaker, but you can also go, but it is so totally different. <laughs> Mm. In it, 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 it's 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 odd. It's you can see why in terms of the the pizzazz uh, that Chazelle's got, but also La La Land, although is a bittersweet movie. Um, it, Babylon is a lot more of an aggressive movie than La La Land, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, La La it, It's just it's it, the start of it when you've got you know just it, where, it, where it basically announces itself very quickly of going we're a fucking musical, 
were a colourful musical. And then when it starts to go through it, the colour starts to quite literally, um, the costumes start to fade within it and it becomes more of a, a serious palette that goes through. Uh, and then you get that, you know, the, the ending with the, um, essentially the, it's like a dream sequence um, or a this is what could have happened. But then the realisation of, actually, do you know what? We are, our lives are better without each other. It's this. It's such an odd. Yeah. It's such an odd, but kind of makes sense. But in a way, like heartbreaking. But you were, you know, you, you're, you're the people who are supposed to be together. But then you realise, no, they're not. They weren't that great together. They weren't together that much, and their lives are better without each other being there. But there's still this smile of what could have been from both of them. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's brilliant, and both. Um, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are fantastic in it, but then there is this, the, the, you know, the the dance that they have. It's, um, you know, when they're on the bench and bits like that. It's quite amusing, sort of watching it going. Right, you can tell which one is the professionally trained dancer and which one isn't the professionally trained dancer. And it's odd that it's the guy that is the professionally trained dancer this time, and it's the girl that isn't. And it's quite amusing in that in that sense. It's just mm, okay. Uh, there's just and, and I remember seeing uh, Emma Stone sort of speak about it once, where she was saying, um, like she she felt really like awkward doing this because they didn't. Is it right in saying they didn't have permission to do this? Did they? They just kept on going up on a night and filming it. Yeah, um, and. I have never seen a thing where she commented on it and saying, you know, that that um, that Gosling kind of like she was weirded out by how good Ryan was at this, and it wasn't until later on that he was like, "You do realise that I'm a professionally trained dancer, though." <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "No fucking way!" She's like, "Do you think I was just like naturally just this good at it?" No. <laughs> and it's it's that oddity of not remembering that he was literally part of the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> it is, yeah. When you consider who the other ones were. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's fucking great, is La La Land, it really is. Um and let's say an odd an odd companion piece to Babylon that also feels like it's it's almost like the antidote to Babylon <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> and this is good for some of you who really liked Babylon. Um but yeah. Mm. Um and then now, uh, the one that I genuinely think is a fucking stone-cold modern-day masterpiece. <laughs> and I don't think I am the only person with him. Maybe that I think it's a masterpiece, but I don't think I'm the only person that thinks this is a good movie. <laughs> right? I hope, anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about 2011's Footloose remake. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right, I watched this twice this week. And there's a reason why I watched it twice. Um, because I watched it. Becky was watching. No, Becky. W- w- Becky had downloaded Devil May Cry Five, I believe it is, um, because it's yeah. part of the PlayStation Platinum thing there. Um, and so she wanted to have a bit of a gamer night on that. Um, and so I said, well, yeah, you, you can do that on one condition. You go and buy me a box of Maltesers so I can sit upstairs and watch a film on my iPad, kind of in bed, um, and eat Maltesers. And so she did. And then 
I was scrolling through going, fuck, I haven't decided what movie to watch. And I scrolled past Footloose and went, fuck it. That, that sounds like the sort of movie, that feels like I enjoyed it enough, but I can sit there, eat Maltesers, and kind of sit up in bed and watch watch Footloose on my iPad. Because we don't have a TV in our bedroom now, because I, I got rid of that. Um, and so I did, and was like watching it going, I'm fucking really enjoying this movie. Like, I'm really fucking enjoying this, this movie. Um, and then I watched it again, because I, I completely forgot to download, I usually have like a few movies downloaded on my iPad across the various streaming services, and I'd run out, and the only movie I had left to watch on my lunch at work was I still had Footloose downloaded on my iPad, um, and so I, I I watched it again, and got about halfway through it and thought I only watched this two days ago, and I'm watching it again, and I'm still really fucking entertained. It's. Again, having a a performance that is um, from Kemi Warmold, um, who plays the the lead character uh, Ren, the fact that you got that they got a pro- proper professional dancer, and it just happened that he can act and he is good in it, feels brilliant because as a dancer he's very very good, and there's the confidence that he has when he's dancing, um, as a screen presence is. Very much, uh, look, I fucking got this. I am gonna look cool as fuck because this is this is the shit that I can fucking do. Is brilliant, um, and having Miles Teller kind of playing off that is a lot of fun. But it's just, it's, it captures the the mood of the original Footloose, but then just makes it a lot more competent. I think I mean Craig Brewer there who understands music within movies. Uh, can absolutely help within that um, within that so it's, it's a really it's not a I perceive just jobbing fucking director that MTV have just fucking shit out and gone fuck it there you go we've got all these pretty people and we've got music just go and make some shit Brewer's kind of gone oh, I've got a fucking idea here let's go with this and has made just a fucking a forceful entertaining movie that kind of works as a a kind of coming of age movie as well at the same time, but without feeling like it's it's just trading off being nostalgic. And it yeah. it left me kind of going, what the fuck is Kevin Warnold doing now? I, I hope he's all right. Yeah, what is he doing? Uh, now? He runs a really really successful dance company. Okay, good for him. Yeah, and I, 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 I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and went, right, what's he doing? I hope, because he is actually, he does do a little bit of acting, but he's very much like a, he just does the odd little bit because, you know, not even like to pay money or anything like that, just to help out friends that he has uh, within the industry. So he's going to be in, he's in Gasoline Alley, um, which is one of the last kind of Bruce Willis ones. Um, and he's basically in that because he's friends with Devon Sawyer, who's in it. Oh wow, and that's, <laughs> that's it. Wild. But yeah, um, like he's like yeah, he, he runs a really successful dance company um, and has a very successful uh, TikTok dance thing as well that he does. That he's part of the company that he runs um, and does like um, like showcases around the world. <laughs> so it's like I don't. It went. Yep, he's clearly doing very well for himself. You know, without having to do movies. Good on him. 
fucking I was I was kind of quite heartened by that. I would have thought, oh god, I hope he hasn't just given up dancing and he's just trotting around doing bit parts in shitty TV series. Um but yeah, it's a it's a fucking great time is Footloose and I get the feeling that if it wasn't just Footloose, it would be a lot higher more highly regarded. Nice. Yep. And that's it, that that that's the eclectic mix of batshit that I've watched this past week. Ah, good stuff. Okay. Um so we are on to Twitter questions. Well, we, we didn't actually get any. I think I put the question, the request for oh. questions out just way too fucking late since I only put it out like three hours ago. Okay. Which is my bad, and I apologise, uh, listeners, for being so tardy. It was, I was literally sat after I'd watched um, Barking Dog No Bite and was like, something I normally do on recording days. I was like, oh, shit, I haven't put out the poll or questions. <laughs> Ah, well. Yeah, and it's so okay. I think people maybe have just got other shit to do. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, cool. All right, so that'll do it for this week. Uh, we will be back next week with Knock at the Cabin. Yep. Along with uh, The Whale. So, big week next week. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that'll do. Slightly shorter show than uh, the last couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll uh, we'll call it there. Yeah, Mark, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much, Ian, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, yeah. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>